Hello, and welcome to One Real Good Thing, where we dive into one thing you can do today to propel your life in a healthy direction. I'm your host, Ellie Krieger. Think eating less salt means sacrificing flavor? Well, it doesn't have to be that way. Yes, salt is an important ingredient for a multitude of reasons, but many of us get way too much. In this episode, I talk with nationally recognized nutrition expert and cookbook author, Maya Feller, about how she balances salt intake in her own life. And we share key ways to build flavor healthfully while relying less on the salt shaker. Maya Feller, it's so great to have you here. Thanks for being with us. Oh, Ellie, it is a pleasure to be with you. And thanks for having me. So I have to tell everyone how I've admired your work seeing you on television, on the Good Morning America, and reading your writing and your cookbooks and everything, and finally really connected with you. And I'm so glad we're friends. We got to be friends, and it's a really a beautiful, joyful addition to my life. So I really appreciate you, Maya. Well, I appreciate you also. And I have to say the feeling is incredibly mutual, and I've admired you. And I love that our cross, our paths have crossed in so many different arenas, um, from teaching to like your philanthropic work to thinking about just like how we view the world and food. And so I appreciate you. And I'm just really, I wish everyone could see I've got such a big smile. I'm thrilled to talk to you. Well, I have a smile too. And I find that we're just very often on the same page, which is really cool. And one of the things we're on the same page with is your one real good thing, which is get big flavor with less salt. And as we're sort of entering the new year and people are thinking about how to change their lives for the better, I mean, maybe I'm kind of thinking about this all year long and, and that's the point of this podcast. But I think especially now, it's something that's really important in terms of transforming the way you eat. And it, I think it's normally associated with like, oh, bland food, and this is an issue and we need to bust this up because it doesn't, it shouldn't be. So first of all, we're going to say a big say no to bland food to start Amen. off. Amen. No bland food. <laughs> we are not into that over here. Not at all. <laughs> so we're going to talk about, though, how to get a lot of flavor without leaning on salt. I, I typically like to say, you know, don't lean on salt for flavor, which I think it's people's like first tool, but there's so many other tools. So there's another layer to this. And what made me think of you for this topic is that you shared with me your personal journey with needing to reduce the sodium in your own diet. So I, are you open to sharing that with everyone? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's really interesting. I often say, you know, it's like some kind of, I don't know, food trick on me that I'm salt sensitive. And it actually goes back to when I was pregnant with my daughter um, I had gestational hypertension. So not preeclampsia, nothing else, but like my blood pressure became elevated toward the end of the pregnancy. And it's interesting because we know with things like gestational diabetes, when the pregnant person has that elevation in their blood sugars, we actually counsel them to continue to be mindful about, you know, their carbohydrate intake and added sugars and just to improve their carbohydrate literacy after they deliver. And it's funny because no one actually said to me like, hmm, you know, you had gestational hypertension. 
you're going to have to be mindful of your sodium. Um, You may become salt sensitive. And so, you know, years later, I remember going to the doctor and it was at the end of a summer, visiting my family, spending time in Massachusetts, having all the wonderful things that I love to have, the oysters, the lobster with salted butter, the corn with salted butter, the cheese you know, with salt, that my blood pressure was slightly elevated. And I was so surprised because I'm very, very active. You know, I eat a lot of plants and I'm conscious about getting fiber into my pattern of eating. But then I had this elevation in my blood pressure, not hypertension, but just an elevation. And so, you know, my doctor said, well, I know you're a dietitian. Let's go back and see what happens if you kind of pull back from sodium rich food sources and you're just a little bit more mindful about how you interact with salt. Lo and behold, of course, my blood pressure went back down. And then I I learned that I'm actually salt sensitive. So if I have high quantities of sodium, especially like, you know, over a long period of time, so vacations and stuff when I'm not cooking myself, I'll get an elevation in my blood my blood pressures. And so this is one reason why I often think, hmm, I know that there are all these high rates of chronic conditions. Probably we could all benefit from an education and a mindfulness around added salt. Yeah, I mean, most... Americans eat about 3,400 milligrams of sodium per day. And the amount you're kind of supposed to get, the limit is 2,300. So about 1,000 milligrams on average over, which or 50% really. (laughs) We're eating like 50% more than we're supposed to. And so, but it's interesting that you say just mindful. So it's not, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a severe restriction. I mean, certainly if your doctor says that you have to be on a severe sodium restricted diet, then you should do that. So no contra, no, we're not count. I am not um, disputing that if that's your particular situation, but for most of us, literally just being mindful of sodium and salt and trying to get out of leaning on it overly leaning on it for flavor um, can really help us health-wise, I think. Um, Just if you could just review for us, what are the downsides of too much sodium? Like what are the potential risks? Absolutely. So just as you said, the average person living in this country is taking in something like 3,400 milligrams of sodium per day with the recommendation being 2,300 milligrams. Now, if someone has a diagnosis of high blood pressure or a borderline high blood pressure, or they're salt sensitive, the recommendation may be further reduced to about 1,500 milligrams of sodium per day. When we take in too much salt, it kind of throws off the balance within our body and it increases people's risk for cardiovascular complications. So like heart disease, things like stroke. Um, And then also in some cases, especially when people are salt sensitive, uh, that they can actually develop hypertension. So like high blood pressure. So what we're really talking about is um, poor cardiometabolic health outcomes. And now who are the people that have to think about this? Uh, I always say this, that, you know, your genes can be predictive, but not a diagnosis. So if there is a family history of high blood pressure that's documented, you might want to be mindful about how you interact with salt. 
If you've had gestational hypertension or preeclampsia, again, you're going to fall into that category of someone who wants to think about how they're interacting with sodium. And if someone actually has a diagnosis of high blood pressure or any kind of endocrine dysfunction like diabetes or insulin resistance, those people will absolutely want to be much closer to that 2300 milligrams of sodium per day, if not all the way down to that 1500 milligrams. Um, and that's just because the way that our bodies kind of stay in balance, there's a lot of conversation internally. And so we want to make sure that all of those systems that regulate your blood sugars, as well as your blood pressure and your lipids are, you know, in balance. So we really try to counsel folks to be mindful around salt when there's something that's off. Right. And in general, though, most people would benefit from reducing their salt or being more mindful about salt. I think even because so many of the salt reduction strategies basically just add up to eating healthier food. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> the benefit is really for everyone here. So a lot of these tips, even if you feel like, oh, I'm not sensitive to salt, no biggie. Pay attention here because there's a lot of strategies here about building flavor, not relying on salt that actually have benefits of their own independently of the amount of salt in them. That um, is so true, Ellie. Oh my goodness. I feel like you should say that again, like one more time. Those tips, they benefit you in other areas, not just the salt reduction. We have to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> We'll have to find a way to say it really succinctly, though. <laughs> right, exactly. It's so true, so that people know what we're talking about. <laughs> um, well, actually, let's like dive into some of those then. Um, so, I mean, one of the ones that come to mind right away for me is just cooking from with fresh food, <laughs> just cooking with fresh ingredients from scratch. The more scratch cooking you can do, the more you... Most of our, I'll back up for a second, because most of our sodium in our lives comes from prepared and packaged foods. So everyone here knows me, and I think you're on the same page as this, is like, we're realistic about sometimes we're going to open up a package of food. I mean, so we're, it's not about being a purist here or any all or nothing attitude. It's just about mainly using foods that are fresh and cooking as much as possible at home from fresh ingredients, you're immediately going to have like a running head start, not only with sodium, but to this point of also with just more nutritious food. I agree 100%. And then I also like to add on to that, that, you know, when people engage in using things like chef's helpers, so like canned tomatoes or things that are coming from a box or a jar to be an informed consumer and read that nutrition facts label, be able to manipulate it in a way that you understand, ah, well, those first three ingredients make up the majority of whatever is in said package, box, jar, or can. And so if you're looking for chickpeas, and then it says chickpeas, water, and salt, that's the majority of the ingredients. And then you go back and you take a look at the sodium. And if it says, 45% of your daily value for sodium, well, that's really high. So then you're going to say, hmm, either I'm going to rinse it twice and cut the sodium content by maybe 40%, or I'm going to look for something that says overtly low sodium on it. So I, I really encourage people to get to know their packages when they use them so that they can make an intentional and informed choice. Or even, I mean, I totally agree. And 
and, or just take the big shortcut of just always buying low sodium or no salt added whenever you're buying canned food, because that's primarily where that's coming from. And if you, if you're using, I love the word cooks helpers. So canned tomatoes, canned broth, canned um, beans. I always buy low sodium. I add salt to my dishes, but this puts me in control in the driver's seat yes. as opposed to the manufacturer in the driver's seat. So if you can just, even if you just make that swap right there, you're in control. And then um, yes to the tip of rinsing the beans. And I think this is a really great number that is supported by the research that if you rinse the beans underwater, which I do anyway, just to get rid of kind of that coating on them or just the get rid of those like kind of thick juices kind of thing. I mean, sometimes I'll use them depending like the aquafaba in the, in the chickpeas, but usually I'm draining, I'm rinsing. And that gets rid of, as you said, about 40% of the salt. So if you wind up with a, with a regular can of beans, you know, do that. And it makes a difference. 100%. The other thing too, that I love Ali is spice. Um, I think it's funny. So I have a collection of hot sauces in my home and actually people, when they travel, they bring me hot sauce. Um, I've been known to go to Thai restaurants where someone's family member is cooking in the back and they say, you really don't want this. And I say, oh no, but I do. Um, I love spice. I recognize that that's not everybody, but with spice also comes flavor. And so I think another great way to be mindful of how we're using or reducing our use of salt is actually to bring in spices. So, you know, hot, bitter, acidic, uh, herbal, aromatic, like to really lean into all of those flavors as we're preparing our foods. Um, and that also helps us kind of take this like little culinary journey around the world. Cause it's like, you know, you cook with a little bit of lemon, you're cooking with garlic, onion, rosemary, thyme, sage, cloves. Like you can go almost anywhere in your pot once you start to play with those flavors. It's, and I want to talk more about going anywhere in your pot because your new book is uh, Eating from Our Roots, which is amazing. And we want to talk about that more. But before we do, I need to back up because I want to just dive into a couple of things that you just said that are so incredibly true. And I want to get a little deeper. So first of all, spices to me is one strategy. And it's almost separate to me from other flavorings, um, such as acids like um lemon juice and vinegars. So I want to just separate those for a second, because if you just look at spices, cumin, coriander, garlic, um, cardamom, cinnamon, I mean, just name it. I love spices, right? Um, chili peppers, chili powders, things like that. To the point of when you use those, you just need a little bit of salt to tie them together. And you leaning on these beautiful flavors, and then you put some salt in to tie that together and kind of heighten the whole thing. But not only are you getting less salt then, but you're also getting all the antioxidants, anti-inflammatory benefits, and all the incredible wealth of flavor from all these spices. So, I love that. That's the truth. You know, it's so interesting. So my family is from both the English and Creole speaking Caribbean. And it's funny because, you know, there's all of this like compelling research these days, right? So it's like, if you pair black pepper with 
turmeric, it makes the antioxidants and the phenolic compounds and the phytonutrients more bioavailable. And it's like, yes, 100%. So basically it's like, okay, you're getting more anti-inflammatory properties, but guess what? It's delicious. It's just like pure deliciousness. And then you add it in with like coconut and now you're like, oh my goodness, in Trinidad and you're happy. And oh my gosh, totally. And you actually start off your book. Again, I'm going to mention the book name. It's Eating from Our Roots. And it is a beautiful book. And it's, I I would love you to explain to us the basic concept of this book because it really ties back to this whole use of spices and 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 beautiful flavor from around the world. I love the first sort of the opening of the book, the introduction where you talk about your experience, your food experiences in Trinidad and Tobago and how that made you feel and give you a sense of place and happiness. So it's such a beautiful vision. I could see you there basically when I was reading that. So tell us about the book in general. So the book really, I mean, so I should go back and I should say, you know, as a kid, I traveled quite a bit with my family. Um, I come from this very interesting family of academics who were often traveling for some kind of like sociological research. Um, and I went along and the travels usually happened in the summer, sometimes winter too. Um, my birthday happens to be in the summer. So you can imagine I was not thrilled because I was not home for my birthday, but as an adult, I'm like, it was fine. Um, and so I had this really early exposure to a variety of cultures and also a variety of foods and just food preparation. Um, I have no allergies. And so I actually have always been able to really kind of eat the majority of what's placed on my plate, which is why I say the sodium thing is a joke. <laughs> it takes a trick on me. Um, and so, you know, the book is kind of me sharing my love of culture um, and my love of food, and then also my respect for variety within like the human experience. Um, and like one of the things that I just really hope is that this book encourages people to embrace their kitchen. Um, there's some recipes that are really quick and there's some recipes that will take some time. Low and slow, low and slow. (laughs) Low and slow. And I think that that's okay, you know? Um, And so it's just an option for people to think about, hmm, how are flavor-filled plants and some animal proteins showing up in my home and then on my plate? What I love about it in particular is that I think, you know, all of these recipes have such a, a abundance of healthful ingredients and they're such fulfilling foods and nourishing foods, both sort of spiritually, I guess, and physically, you know, physically nourishing foods. And they're not, I think very often we've come to a place in our field as dietitians where there's only certain foods that can be healthy, right? It's the Mediterranean diet or nothing kind of thing. But I think what we need to see as a, as a, field of, of profession as a professional field and as individuals. And what we hope the world sees is that foods from around the world, and there's so much wisdom in traditional food ways, and there's so much pleasure and connection in those traditional food ways. 
and they're filled with healthful ingredients, not only from the Mediterranean, which I love Mediterranean food. So there's no, you know, dissing that here, but just that it's not just that that there are beautiful and helpful food traditions from around the world. And you really highlight them so beautiful, beautifully um, talking about spices, kind of cutting back to spices and sodium and stuff. You really, I think that's displayed so beautifully in one, in so many recipes in your book, but in the Burberry spice chicken, chickpea stew, for example, oh my gosh, that looks amazing. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I love a chickpea. Like I, 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 you know, I feel you gotta like love a chickpea. Who doesn't love a chickpea? Who doesn't love a chickpea? Um, you know, one of the things that I love about this recipe in particular is that there are an abundance of plants, but then there's also flavors and spices that we don't expect in the U.S. Right. Um, in the US, like we really like sugar, fat, and salt. And those are kind of the things that we are really accustomed to eating. But this dish has like a really mild heat, right? And it's very earthy. Um, and then when you add in the plants, and what I refer to as the sweetness from the couscous, I think that it's a really incredible dish because you're really getting, I mean, all of the macronutrients in one dish, you've got your proteins, your fats, and your carbohydrates. Um, and so I love foods like that, that are not often, as you said, part of that, like dominant um, health culture, right? Like a dish like this may not have received its health halo, because it's not known. Um, although every single ingredient in it is, it's perfection. Yep, totally. Um, and another, uh, kind of segueing back to the acid thing. Um, when you try to reduce salt, if you add lemon juice, if you add lime juice, if you add vinegar, it wakes up the flavor. So you need less salt. And actually I often finish dishes, stews with just a tablespoon of cider vinegar or a squeeze of lemon. I feel like it adds so much. And then interestingly, I think from a physical point of view, um, salt and acid have a similar effect on the palate. So it actually does literally tell your tongue a similar story that salt does. So if you add your acid before you add your salt to your dish to taste, you're going to need less salt. So I just wanted to throw that in there is why I think about those spices and kind of acid differently. Um, and then I wanted to talk about another sort of big tip for lowering sodium that is reflected in another one of the recipes in your book, and that is in your Cajun gumbo. And you even make a sort of a note in that, which it looks so good. First of all, you use lower sodium uh, sausage, right? Um, yes. And um, to start, but then you don't put any added salt at all. You don't add any salt to that recipe on purpose and you explain why. So um because it has a lot of other salty ingredients, so it doesn't need it, right? Exactly. exactly. And so that's one of the things that, you know, I want to encourage people in general, when they're cooking and when they're eating, we're very accustomed to just adding things on top. I joked and said, I love hot sauce. Like I could add hot sauce to everything, but I like to taste my food before I add. And so this dish is a perfect example of that, right? We've got ingredients that are generally higher in added salts, seeking out the lower sodium versions where possible. 
and then not adding additional sodium. Tasting first and then thinking about, just as you said, what are the other flavors that you'd like to see in there, right? So can we do a little bit of heat in there? You know, can we, you know, do something else? Like what's the direction that we can take it before adding that salt in? And if people absolutely say, you know what, I want to add a sprinkle of salt as I'm finishing it, then by all means do so. But it's been an intentional, I want to add this salt. Exactly. So it's just being more mindful about it in general. And just to kind of give a little bit of a sense of what are salty ingredients you might not realize are salty. So when you're cooking with sausage, when you're cooking with mustard, actually many hot sauces have a lot of salt already in them. Um, cheese is super salty usually. And so if I'm adding feta to something or Parmesan, I'm going to add and season sort of after because I don't really know my level until I add those things. So same thing with, again, mustard, hot sauce, and also a lot of uh, stock. I mean, if you, I recommend low sodium kind of stocks if you can, but some are higher in sodium than others. So just to add salt after, and then actually sometimes if you add it after, if you're sprinkling like a, um, a flaky salt on top, that salt hits your tongue first. And so it gives you more of an impact. I mean, sometimes you definitely want to salt as you go. You don't want to just, it depends on what you're doing. Sometimes you need the salt to draw out the moisture in vegetables. For example, it's not just about the flavor of salt. And actually salt does another thing while I'm, while I'm talking about this, it also um, reduces bitterness. So sometimes you need salt to just kick the bitterness down on something. So it's not just about salty flavor, but if you want just more salty flavor, putting a little at the end in like a coarser salt will give you more of an impact on your tongue. So it's one strategy there. I love that. You know, that totally reminds me, I was on a trip and we were talking about preservation methods um, and things like salted cod um, and uh, ham hocks and smoked turkey wings and how they're preserved and how also if you cook with those things, well, A, you're going to have to boil them and really cut the sodium, do a couple of, you know, boil the water, dump the water, boil the water, dump the water. Um, but those things as well show up in many cultures, right? And it doesn't mean that you don't have to eat them or cut them out. You can absolutely have those. Maybe you're just not adding salt on top of it. Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. You can consider them like a, like a salt in a way, a salty ingredient like mustard or whatever. So absolutely. Um, and, and yes, and even, I mean, back, we didn't have refrigeration or freezers. So salting was a main form of preservation and those foods are so delicious. And traditionally they were, um, the salt was drawn out of them before they were eaten typically anyway, mostly. Um, so anyway, also, um, one other point that I love in your book that really resonates with me for so many reasons is to essentially use different words, but it's getting out of this all or nothing mentality. And I have to say, I once had a person write to me saying she made a soup and she didn't put salt in it and it tasted terrible. So what should she do? And I literally like was typing, put salt in it, exclamation point. Like, <laughs> so I think one of the problems is that we do get into this all or nothing. And this is where healthy food gets this like bad reputation of being bland. Yes, it's going to taste terrible if you put no salt in it. And if you don't think about all the other spices and things. Um, so 
some dishes will taste, unless it has salty ingredients, as you say already. If you just take your basic soup recipe and you add no salt, you're not going to enjoy that. And if you don't enjoy it, then you're not going to get the nourishment from it. So then it's not healthy. One more time. Say it again. (laughs) If you don't enjoy it, you won't eat it. And that's the thing, right? Like that's it. I that we should put on a t-shirt. Okay, fair enough. If you don't enjoy it, you won't eat it. And that's so true, right? Really simple, but like at the end of the day. That's what it is. And that's when we're trying to encourage people to engage in patterns of eating that support their health, it has to taste good and it has to be culturally relevant. And if it's not, it just doesn't get eaten. Totally. So I I think one question I I get a lot is, um, does it matter what kind of salt, like are some salts better than other salts? Um, I don't know what your take is on this, but like, is sea salt better than table salt? I think really, if you're cooking in a big pot of something, you're not going to know the difference if you put an expensive sea salt in versus if you put like irregular table salt in. Um, but for finishing, I find, yes, it's worth it to have those fancy salts and coarse salts for like that finishing touch. Maybe you want a bit of smokiness. Maybe you want a bit of the color from the Himalayan salt or whatever, but that's more of like a finishing fine touch sort of thing. I mean, that's my read on it. Do you feel the same? I completely agree. I mean, I feel like if you want to have fun, you know, then you can get fancy salts. I also feel like if you have the discretionary income so that you can actually spend $15 on a fancy salt, then by all means go for it. Um, But if you're thinking about just, you know, being functional, um, you know, then I think a kind of run of the mill table salt, you know, or even just like a coarse kind of like kosher salt will do it, you know, mm-hmm. in, in your dishes. It doesn't have to be like black, pink, even though, gosh, they're amazing. So beautiful. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's more like an indulgence, you know. Um, but, um, and I've heard a chef recently, I was at a demo and a chef who's not a dietitian said, oh, yeah. And, coarse salt is, has, has less sodium than fine salt. And I was like, oh, I wanted to just say, wait a second here. So if you hear this anywhere, here's the deal. So they'll say kosher salt or any kind of coarse, coarse or flake salt has less sodium. Yes, it has less sodium per teaspoon because less of it fits in the teaspoon because of the shape of it. So, but if you look at it just by weight, then per ounce or per gram, it's going to have the same amount of sodium as table salt, fine and coarse. It doesn't matter the size, it's by weight. So one way to reduce sodium though, if you want to, if you're following a soup recipe or something and you use a coarse salt instead of a fine salt, you're automatically going to be essentially using less because less fits on that spoon. So that's what's happening there. It might be a good trick for some people to use that trick, but just know that there's nothing inherent about that product. It's just the shape that kind of makes it um, fit less into a spoon. Um, I wish I could have said that at that demo. It was like driving me nuts, but it wouldn't be the first or last time that I hear a chef say something erroneous nutritionally. No shade. No, no shade whatsoever. But um, 
Yeah. I'm just going to let that one sit. (laughs) But, you know, but anyway, I'm glad to put it out there that in case there's some misinformation or people don't understand about the course versus fine. Um, Well, this has been so much fun. I already see our Maya and Ellie t-shirt line forming. So we'll have to work on that a little bit. Um, (laughs) um, Is there anything you wanted to add before we wrap up? You know, the only thing that I would say is, you know, as people are going on this kind of exploration in their kitchen, um, it's to really find what works for them, right? And if there's a cuisine or flavor profile that they're like, wow, I'm really into this, dig a little deeper, right? Um, Because it'll get you going back to your kitchen and filling your fridge and your pantry with things that are just really good for you. Great advice. As always, thank you, Maya Feller. You're awesome. Oh, thank you so much, Ellie Krieger. You are awesome. (laughs) Thanks for listening. I hope you take advantage of all these easy ways to get big flavor with less salt. Join me next time for another One Real Good Thing.